This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. Ladies and gentlemen, do we have a show for you? Welcome back in. The opening kickoff on this Wednesday is now here. And we are here for the next three hours right here on the sports station WNSP and WNSP.com. We encourage you to join the festivities today. Uh, Mr. Shervanian, sir, I was up late last night. I uh, I had I had to get my fill of uh, well the Braves game wasn't that late what what kept you up so late uh, I did a little work on the uh, on the Johnny Manziel doc I was uh, I actually had to uh, I watched it originally during the day because we talked and then I had to go back and rewatch for some other stuff I was doing I'm sorry no did you like it or no that's right. a no that's I, a no no wait a minute I'm not going to criticize it. I enjoyed it. I, I like sports documentaries. However, and you're well aware of this because you informed me, the untold story. Here's where, and I'm not telling anybody not to watch it, okay? I mean, but I knew everything in there. And when you say untold story, I was looking for that little caveat, little nugget of information that I didn't know. Something that, wow, I didn't know that. But everything that came out, I was aware of. Because, well, we follow sports. We follow his so-called career. Um, yeah, there were like one-liners in there, which when we get Billy Lucci on, who, thanks to you, we, we're getting him on. He was very well, he was very involved in this uh, out at techsag.com. Um, you know, there were like one-liners where, you know, the parents kind of like threw this on Texas A&M. But in the long run, you know, Mark, I, let me just back up a little bit. Yesterday, on the Dan Patrick show, Ryan Leaf, all right? And he talked about jail time and things like that. And then we morphed to Johnny Manziel and two outstanding athletes who never took off with their careers for whatever reasons. And with Manziel, he just came across and he admitted a petulant frat boy who was more concerned about parting. You know, I think about... I've, and I've said this on the air. I was reading the LeBron James book by Jeff Benedict. You know, LeBron was basically thrust into the limelight like Johnny Manziel, a cover of Sports Illustrated coming out of high school. He went in the right direction, you know, worked hard, did this, did that. Manziel, to me, took his talent and just went right down the crapper, you know, as far as his uh, not studying to be a, uh, an NFL quarterback and things like that. And Here's here's what I am happy about. Something I did. I wasn't aware of what he was doing. Now I'm glad he bonded with his family. That that's me. I, again, I don't know. Did you find something in there that you were unaware of with his career? Uh, well, I think it was one of those things because it had been so long. I don't know if I was unaware or I just forgot about it. But I was I was fascinated by the fact no, a number of things. Uh, his relationship with Nate. He does not have a relationship with Uncle Nate right now. They have not talked since they parted ways after his uh, college career. The split, Nate was basically his fall guy, his business manager, his confidant, his childhood friend. And for all that, he got an 80-20 split. Um, I love the A-Rod reference, how Alex Rodriguez was involved with uh, this, this uh, 
this autograph guy. The fact that he got 3K initially for doing some autographs. Somebody slid him a number for the king of autographs. He met with that guy in Miami, and basically what they did was they gave him a room at the Fountain Blue Hilton Inn, uh, or a Hilton, rolled in there. They had all the stuff there. Take a picture when you're finished of all the memorabilia you've signed. We will send you a code for the, the safe in the hotel room, which had 30K cash. He did that in January, February, March, and April. And then after all the NCAA, after everything that was done, the NCAA slapped him with a whopping half game. And then they said, as soon as he served that, they went immediately back to what they were doing with the autographs. And then the other thing that I thought was interesting was that Nate admitted he created the false narrative about... See, this is something I didn't know. Everybody was reporting that Manziel's family had money, that they came from oil, and they showed all these clips, ESPN talking heads. Everybody was talking about how they had money to explain why he had the lavish gifts, the cars, the, uh, the trips, the courtside seats. And Nate admitted he made it all up. They didn't have that money. He planted that seed... Um, so that others would, so they could justify all the high-end material. All right, things. would you tell me if you think I'm totally wrong on this? I think with Johnny Manziel, too much success too soon. That that's how you know freshman Heisman, and then after that he wasn't mature enough to handle it. I will agree with you on that. I that made-up story about the family because I always thought he was basically a, a rich kid that pretty well went off and did what he wanted, felt he was entitlement, and I don't care for people who think they're entitled and, and forget about people who you know they've been associated with and that he was just too good for everybody because success came to him way too early. That That's the feeling I had. I do, like I said, at least he stood up. Uh, well, stood up, he was sitting on a chair and, you know, admitted things that, you know, went wrong and, and where he went wrong. And you know what? I hope things work out for him. There was a there was a kind of a theme at the end of it that he wasn't he's not really doing anything now, is he? He's not working or I not think, doing anything. I That's think the he thing. just literally there was a report a couple weeks ago that he opened a bar in College Station. Okay. I did see I read that, but I was just wondering his sister was on there and said he's just kind of. You know, not he's just kind of relaxing and taking it easy, and you know the the stuff that again I knew bipolar, and you know what that can lead to, and, and issues with the law and things like that. But I was glad to see at the end because in the documentary on Netflix yesterday, you know the family basically said they've lost control of them, and uh, there was no bonding at all, and the dad and the son were so close growing up, and they had kind of split and they felt they couldn't do anything to help him they couldn't get him into uh treatment centers and things like that so you know i don't know where that stands right now but you know what i hope things work out for him as they have with ryan leaf ryan leaf was on the dan patrick show they were talking about aaron Rodgers, the dark side and ryan leaf said you know because patrick said did you ever go to the dark side i said dan i was in prison for three years it doesn't get much darker than that yeah, so, I, you know, first of all, they're on better terms because at the end of the show, and I apologize for giving it all away, but it's really worth your time, especially if you remember kind of watching that whole season, actually two seasons unfold. But uh, they're on good terms. They weren't before, but when he hit rock bottom, he showed up at the Manziel house and just said, I got nowhere else to go. So, but if things got, to your point, dad blamed 
Texas A&M and had some pretty sharp words about Texas A&M and how when you when you send your son to college to play for a program, it's not just so they can learn how to football, but it's basically uh, um, so they can teach you how to grow up to be a man. And he basically, to me, I thought, well, that's kind of your job, and you didn't do a very good job of that. But there was he was talking about how there was no accountability and how could you how could you sit a kid that was worth so much money to your university and the university made three hundred million more than any other single uh, year that they ever did in private donations uh, the year that Manziel went off and, and won the Heisman. But there were a couple other things. I think the Alabama game antidote was 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 awesome. He predicted they were going to go down and score. Uh, after Alabama uh, was down 20, they rolled, They came back. Uh, he, he predicted. Billy Lucci tells that story. I think that was interesting. The fact that his receivers were so trashed the day of the Cleveland Pro Day that he used his lawyer and his agent to run routes at the Cleveland Pro Day was fascinating to me. And then the other thing was him admitting that he beat uh, drug test they had a fourth, apparently a fourth-string quarterback, according to the agent, take his drug test at Texas A&M, and he beat the drug test at the combine by basically just uh, pounding water and electrolytes and Pedialyte for like 24 straight hours before he had to take the drug test because he was going to send him home. Um, you know, he was, they were going to fake a storyline that his dad was in the hospital and he had to go see his dad, so they. Um. Uh, so that because the, the, the drug test is always day two of the combine so he's going to go to the combine do the interviews and then they were going to fabricate the story to get him out of there and Johnny Manziel's like no I've been watching the combine my whole life I'm going to the combine see I happen to agree with you on the parent stuff when the dad said that you know they expected more from A&M to basically keep his son in tow you, that, that starts at an early age that, that's, that's on the parents but I will in listening to uh, Cliff Kingsbury as offensive coordinator it was pretty obvious to me they let him run wild up there I mean look at the offense they had they let him do whatever he wanted and I think I got the impression he pretty much had could do anything he wanted off the field also and there wasn't much discipline you know maybe if they had disciplined him more who knows I don't know if things would have changed because like I said coming from his household that's that's where you I think, start developing your personality and the type of person you are. So I would put that more on the parents than I would on Texas A&M. But I have seen many times in sports where a great athlete comes along. I won't get into names or programs or things like that. And they turn to drugs and alcohol, as Johnny Manziel at least turned to alcohol. And I, I, I'm thinking drugs were involved in there somehow, but I'm not, I can't confirm that. And the the the... the the team you're with or the officials they look the other way and and i i don't think a&m went out of their way to really help him but i don't know if that's totally their job either i think that fell on the parents all right so we'll talk about this throughout the course of the day uh i think maybe one of the other things i learned too was he dropped like he was at 215 pounds when things hit rock bottom when he was in the nfl or a cut by cleveland he went on this kind of bender uh he was into co uh, cocaine and oxy and went from 215 to 175 and actually bought a gun uh, months prior, tried to use it, and he said, as he said in the doc, it just clicked. It didn't go off. So um, compelling stuff for those of you uh, that uh, remember that. It, it, uh, we're going to talk to Billy Lucci, the executive editor of Tex Ags. He was a prominent part of that 
uh, Doc. He will join us at uh, 7.30 today, so really looking forward to that. Um, we went a little long there with that one topic. I apologize, but let's get you some uh, scoreboard traffic and weather. We'll get you all the headlines that you might have missed in the last 24 hours. Uh, Steve Mast, Theodore, football coach, will join us at 6.30. Justin Baker on the Kevin Brown situation at 7. I mentioned Lucci. Chris Stewart, the voice of the Crimson Tide at 8. And uh, South Alabama coach Richie Riley set for 8.30. So we got a dynamite lineup for you. We're off and running here on a Wednesday edition. Stay with us right here on the Sports Station WNSP. Hi, this is Phil Steele, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5. Tucker sends one to right field. Back goes Santan there. All the way back and gone. He did it. He did it. A grand slam of the night. What an event by Kyle Tucker. All right, 622. We're just getting started here on a Wednesday edition. Thanks for hanging with us. It's the opening kickoff. You know, as we talked a lot about Johnny Manziel, that Kevin Brown story was making the rounds uh, yesterday on syndicated shows all over the place. And my understanding is that Brown will return. Now, here's what I don't, and this is maybe something Justin can clarify. According to a report that Brown actually did some radio broadcast for the Orioles on a, obviously a different network than the TV network. But here's the other thing, too, and we talked about this at length. And everybody was coming to his defense, and why not? All he was doing was reciting stats that were prepared for him by the PR office. I mean, he didn't make up that stuff. Everything that Kevin Brown talked about when he was then unceremoniously uh, suspended, he was just that, that stat sheet you get before the game, and he was just reciting some of the facts this is uh, the big push on the Orioles and a very negative, but apparently he's coming back when they're out in Seattle. He's not saying anything, and I don't blame him, uh, but uh, he'll be back on the, the TV. And it's, it's really during the game, the fans were chanting for him. Uh, speaking of uh, guys that uh, are in a little hot water for something they said, you see what, Colin, what happened to Colin Cowherd? Did you guys see this? I had. I, I have to hear what you have to say before I. I mean, I'm I'm aware of a lot of what so he says. So Colin Cowherd did a list of quarterbacks that can't win a Super Bowl. Oh yes, I know what you're talking about now. Yes, he included Dwayne Haskins on that list and didn't correct himself. Now, for those of you that are unaware, Dwayne Haskins is no longer with us. And this caught fire, and he is not corrected or apologized. There are there is a ton of backlash, um, among the people. By the way, that can't win Super Bowls: uh, Blake Bortles, Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnell, uh, Darnold, Justin Fields, uh, Daniel Jones, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, Jordan Love, Paxton Lynch. He goes down. Johnny Manziel. Speaking of, Baker Mayfield, Kenny Pickett, um, Carson Wentz, Zach Wilson, Jameis Winston. All of them are still alive. Dwayne Haskins is not. So it should be interesting in this news cycle to see what winds up happening. How does Cowherd reply to that? Uh, but it's it's rare that as much as people don't like Cowherd, and there, there are plenty of us out there, um, it'll be interesting to see how he reacts to that news. Speaking of lists, Saturday Down South listed the top 25 players this year in the SEC. Do you take a shot at number one? 
It's not a quarterback. It's not a quarterback in the SEC. Um, who is the top player? Top player in the SEC this season. Um, it's got to be if it's not a quarterback. Not a quarterback. In fact, there's not a quarterback in the top eight or nine. Got to be a receiver. Yeah, you could say that. Yes. Um, I have no idea. Tight end. It's a tight end. Brock Bowers. Wow. They list Brock Bowers. Number two on the list is Harold Perkins, the LSU linebacker. The only Alabama players in the top 25, Kool-Aid, Latham, Turner, nobody from Auburn. I think the first, if I'm going on memory now, K.J. Jefferson of Arkansas is the first quarterback, and they have him listed like 10th or 11th. And he's followed by Jaden Daniels. So not a not a huge quarterback Ooh. year in the SEC. Not at all. Nope. Not according to Saturday Down South. Brock Bowers, of course, many of you know, you know, the Georgia tight end is actually considered one of the top players in the nation. And as I was reading this, I was wondering, is he going to get Heisman consideration this year? Well, the dude, I, I don't. That's controversial going tight end in the uh, with the first o- number one overall in the league. McKinstry was what? He was number four. Okay. Latham was twelve. Turner thirteen. Hmm. Another story that caught my attention in this day and age of transfer portal, guys just hopping all over the place. There is a transfer from Maryland to Florida State. Uh, his name was uh, Daryl Jackson. He's a lineman. And the NCAA denied a waiver, a hardship waiver. He transferred from Maryland to Florida State to be closer to his mom who was ill and lives about 30 minutes away from Tallahassee. In this day and age, I didn't I didn't even know they you had to apply for a hardship waiver. The way players jump from team to team these days, it's kind of sad because that's the reason he did, but he's going to have to sit out this year. Well, I guess at first glance, uh, on one hand, I applaud the NCAA for finally taking a stand on this transfer stuff. I just think they picked the wrong example. I think so, too. If, if in fact, and no reason not to believe it, that the mom is ill, health issues, he transferred to be closer to home. I've always felt that the, uh, the NCAA pretty much gave stamp of approval cleared it uh and situations like that but again couldn't you just enter the portal and transfer you would think so all right so we're gonna talk a little high school football uh steve mask the theodore coach will join us next and uh we got to get to uh nick saban's latest guest to talk to his team and lee asked me uh kind of an interesting question how many guys on the team actually know, knew who it was when he walked in and the relevance of said guest? We'll get to all that coming up. Uh, we're rolling along here on a busy Wednesday. It's the opening kickoff right here on the sports station WNSP. Very smart. He works very hard, but he also has time on task. 
he's been there. And so that always helps in college football. Uh, you know, there is a difference. In All right, 632, boys and girls, thanks for making us part of your morning. The opening kickoff continues right here on the sports station, WNSP. That, the voice of Alabama defensive coordinator, Kevin Steele. Talking about Deontay Lawson, Automobile Christian, uh, fixture on the Alabama defense. And the reason we led into that, because when Steve Mask came in to replace you uh, one morning, Mark, he lined up Kevin Steele on the show because they're very, very good friends. And we're glad that Steve Mask is back in the area. He's coaching Theodore. Good morning, sir. How are you today? Good, great, lady, Mark. How are y'all doing this morning? Appreciate you getting up. You know, usually you were the one with telling me you didn't want to be on the show before 7 or 7.30, so I, I applaud you. Are you having practice early this morning, or what's going on? Well, actually, uh, I have an AD meeting at 8.30 this morning. If I'd known about having an AD meeting at 8.30, I would have told you 7.30 because it would have to be a student <laughs> at 7 o'clock. But uh, anyway, it's always a pleasure to talk to y'all, both of y'all. Mark suggested, I think we can. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, got married uh, 10 days ago, I think, to a really good woman, Rhonda, and uh, everything's working out really well. and just very happy right now, Lee. Mark. I, I don't know, man. You're already waking the whole house up early to talk to us. How's that go over? Well, uh, you got to do what you got to do sometimes, partner. You just got to roll with the flow, you know. Well, congratulations, sir. So it's great when, news. If you have a Thank bad, you. if you have you. a bad day, we all do. Do you ever go home and say, "Help me, Rhonda"? Oh boy. Hey, I thought about that, boy. You were out home today. That's pretty good, partner. Pretty good. <laughs> had I known the name, I probably would have had Nick play <laughs> the song "Help Me, Rhonda." That's great. Congratulations. Happy for you. All right, you. let's talk Theodore. Uh, what's it been like the first week uh, inheriting a team that? I'd say had a very good year last year. Well, Captain Obvious here has been very, very hot. I mean, the weather has just been brutal. I applaud our kids and all kids in high school football right now. They're going out and doing what they're having to endure. But, uh, you know, school started on Monday, and uh, that was always a uh, uh, an exciting day to, to get the year started. And I was very pleased. Usually the first day of school is usually one of your worst days of practice, but we had a a great day, but uh, very excited to be a Bobcat. Kids work extremely hard, and they're, they're fun to coach. And uh, you know, got some players that helps a lot. But uh, it's just been really fun so far. Just thing scary thing about it is we play in two weeks. Let me ask you a question. I don't know if there's a you've been at the both ends of this for a coach who takes over a team. And we had Rush Propes on yesterday, who replaced you at Pell City. He inherits a team that has not had a winning culture for quite some time. You take over a program that's been very successful. Is it easier to transition to a program that's very successful, or do you find it more challenging to take over a program that hasn't done well for years? Well, it's definitely more challenging to take over one that hasn't done very well. There's no question about that, but it's a different set of circumstances. And, you know, the pressure you put on yourself is, is – you know, makes it tough either way that you go. And, uh, you know, when you go into a place that's had success in Theodore, you don't want to be the one to, to let them down and, you know, and, and lose the the tradition they had. And so that part of the stuff, and the toughest part of the one like Russia's in right now, it's just, it's just an enormous amount of work to try to change everything. And I listened to him yesterday, and I applaud what he's trying to do. And, and no disrespect to people at Pell City, but it's a really tough place. And, uh, 
if anybody get it done, he will. And so uh, I'd much rather be in a place that, that's worn than one that, uh, that that hasn't worn consistently. But, you know, as I always said, it's, it's easy to get to the top, but uh, it's pretty hard to stay there, too. Talking with Steve Mask. Okay, uh, we already had the uh, media day and so forth. Who are some of the players that colleges are salva- salivating over? Well, the first one jumps out at you, obviously, is, is Bobby Pruitt, who's committed to Miami. He's an outstanding football player and, and an athlete. Uh, he's a defensive guy that reminds me a lot of Mark Barron and got great size and uh, just a tremendous physical player. And Kevin Norwood's committed to South Alabama as a as a defensive lineman, and uh, both those guys jump off the charts. Those some other good kids, you know, uh, uh, Cameron Rigby, our cornerbacks, are a really good athlete, a good player, and uh, our defensive line, uh, Lee, is just really talented. There's a lot of good size there. It would go about six deep up there, and they're really, really good players. And then kill like Devontae Richardson, who's been a starter on defense, and we're trying to start him as running backs. You know, he's it's got a lot of talent, but you know, I'm not going to lie. We have some, we have some ability. Uh, we have some kids that really love to play football. That's one thing I think that separates Theodore from the places I've been, that they just actually love to play football. And it's, uh, it's fun to watch them practice. It's fun to watch them prepare. Let me ask you this. You, you come in and inherit a team that was really, really good last year. Have you Do you change much from what Eric Collier had already installed last year? Do I mean, to the naked eye, will we see much of a difference in the way you offense or defense? Well, you know, Eric and, and I have very similar philosophies. You were both big defensive guys that believe in, in running the ball and, and kicking it well. So that part of it won't change. But the thing that you – what you try to do, Lee, you got to find uh, – you know, I think there's every program you go into, you find the things that they do well, and then you try to put your spin on that, too. And, and that's what we've done. But I think that for the naked eye, you're going to say, same old Theodore, they, they run the ball, and when they get there, they're pretty angry. And then, uh, you know, offensively, we'll do some things a little different. But, uh, you know, you just, uh, if some things are broke, you just want to tweak it and make it better. You know, when you make that good old skew and, and put another different ingredient in it, sometimes it gets me a real good skew. So we've got a few things we're doing different. Our, the way we handle practice probably is a little different. The uh, the time that we spend doing different things are probably a little different. But the result is we, you know, we hope we have the same results that they've had the last several years. So how are you navigating through the heat? I know times have changed. Uh, they don't worry about giving, what, salt pills to kids. And what, so what do you do uh, to ensure that the, the kids are safe through the heat? Well, the first thing you do, you really, as, a, as the head coach, you really have to monitor everybody. People forget about the kids. There's also some grown men out there that, that struggle with the heat as well, and with me being one of them. So you just got to make sure that there's plentiful water. You have a plan in place. In case something were to go bad, you, you cut down on practice times or constantly give them a break to, to make sure you can uh, sound silly, but to get their helmets off so they get the heat out of the top of their head. And, uh, you know, you just really have to monitor. But we've come a long way in, in medical care for our players in high school. We have a trainer that's there every day. Obviously, that helps. But uh, you know, it's got to be real mindful of what's going on and, and our constantly look and try to find that kid that might be close to a little bit of distress and, and you pull them out. But, uh, again, I think the thing that uh, people don't realize, coaches are out there too. And I've had to watch a couple of our coaches who 
coach extremely hard and not real careful. They can overheat on you. So uh, it's very scary, but it's also something that we're trying to do. And hopefully the good Lord will take care of us and we'll be smart about it. Let me throw this out. Since you play games at night and through this heat, why not practice at night? That's a great point. But you also got the, that kid that's got uh, seven classes he's got to take. And, uh, you know, you, 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 you got to balance the, the academic side of it because, you know, we're all there for that reason. And so, uh, and then transportation is a big deal. Lee. You know, a lot of our kids ride the bus to school in the morning, they're going to ride home in the afternoon. So, uh, you know, but I've always found if you if they want to be there about enough, they'll find a way to get there. But it just, you know, theoretically, just, uh, you know, not theoretically, but realistically, you just can't do it at night. I know some people try to go early in the morning, go right with it, but our classes start at 17. So when I go get up at 430 to go practice, everybody knows they better than that. Is it safe to say or as we predict that maybe, again, uh, the 6A state title uh, champion will come from – come from the uh, 6A here, Region 1? Well, I think it's safe to say that it's going to take somebody pretty good to beat somebody in the 6A Region 1, but I know there's a region up around Birmingham that's pretty strong, too, with Clay Chalfel and uh, Mountain Brooks in that area and then Oxford and some of those places, but I think 6A Region 1 is going to be fun to watch. I think, uh, obviously, the uh, uh, the bunch of Sarahland's got a lot of talent, and most of them back. I think Spanish Fort will be much improved, and hopefully we'll be in the hunt. I think Blunt will be much improved. I think it's going to be fun to watch games in, in 6A Region 1. Coach, we appreciate you getting up with us early, earlier than you had to. So my question is, if you did practice early in the morning and you had to get up at 4, who's more likely to, to miss the start of practice, your guys or you? Yeah, it would definitely be me. Yeah. There's no question about that. That's uh yeah, there's a, there's a good there's there's a good thing about being the head coach, Mark. You can control times, and I can assure you, we're not gonna do much at four thirty in the morning. <laughs> hey, uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Maybe catch a cat nap before the meeting. We appreciate you joining us. Best of luck. We'll be in touch. Uh, great. Sounds good, guys. Y'all have a great day. Thanks. That's Steve Mask, ladies and gentlemen, the Theodore uh, football coach. Up early with us. Uh, we're gonna talk to Justin Baker on this whole Kevin Brown thing at seven. Billy Lucci. The executive editor of Tex Ags, he was featured in the Johnny Manziel doc on Netflix. He's going to join us at 7.30. Really looking forward to uh, having him on. Uh, Chris Stewart and Richie Riley in hour number three as well. Uh, we got a couple minutes here. We haven't mentioned. Uh, so Nick Saban, from time to time, brings a speaker in to talk to his guys. This year, Pete Rose, Lee. So my first thought on this was, how many of those Alabama players, if you asked them before they sat down, do you know who Pete Rose is? And I'm guessing, just a total guess on my part, most of them don't even know who he is. I know why Nick Saban brought him in. Gambling. Obviously, everybody out there knows that Pete Rose banned from baseball because he bet while he was the manager of the Cincinnati Reds. So he, Nick's, he's got an agenda as far as guests that come in. Now, Years ago, he brought in Kobe Bryant. Obviously, I'm sure everybody on the Alabama team at that time knew who Kobe Bryant was. Um, I think there's something to be said for bringing in a Pete Rose. Again, it's not that people are going to associate with him. Oh, wow, Pete Rose. I mean, Pete's in his 80s now, I think, or pretty close to it. And he still gets around well, and he's still very well known among people like me, who's in my 70s. But I think... I wonder how the message 
Well, my question is, that's what it, is the, the message? The, that's the, the point. Is he gonna? Is he going around telling everybody not to gamble, or is he going around telling men? No, I mean, he's the consequences of gambling. Well, I know he is, but is no, he but willing I'm saying to that's be what, that that's, guy? Yeah, but that's the message: the consequences of gambling. And as we see at other states and other campuses where gambling's become an issue. Um, and coaches can squawk all they want about it and teach, 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 but you bring in a guy that's been through this and humbled, and the fact that he can't get into the Baseball Hall of Fame and he can't get back on the field because he gambled, I don't know. I'm sure it'll get through to some of the players. I'm just wondering if he's willing to take that role or if he's still playing the role in private uh, in private of being the victim. Like I think he still gambles. Right, so that that's what I'm saying. Like How great of a, of a role model or a speaker is could he be if he's not being disingenuous and he's going up there and said, look at me, don't gamble. This is what can happen. They can throw your career away and your legacy is gone. That's kind of what you hope he's saying. But if the man is out there still gambling. Well, all right. Let me let me preface this. I know he's gambling, but I don't know what he's gambling on. Is, yeah, he, going, is he buying lottery tickets? Is he going down to the casinos? This is what I've heard. Is that the same thing as betting on sporting events? And. I wouldn't be surprised if he's still betting on sporting events. That's Pete That's Pete Rose's M.O. I really am not surprised. Speaking of gambling, do you see where ESPN officially is entering gambling now? They've announced the network's branded sports book will launch this fall. So ESPN now involved in gambling. Yep. But, again, I it's not like I'm going to sit here and applaud Nick Saban for bringing in Pete Rose. I, I don't know if he's the best example they bring him in because he's been through it, done that, and it backfired on him. But, I, again, since he still does gamble, I, again, I would have had to hear him speak, you know, and, and, and I don't know if the message got clear because I don't think many players can relate to him. Yeah, I'm wondering if Nick brings him in, the door opens automatically from his desk. He's like, you know, Mr. Rose, yeah. hey, great. We really appreciate coming down. Uh, you know, big fan of yours when you were playing him, big baseball, big sports guy, blah, 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 blah. Now, listen. Here's what we want. We need you to talk about how gambling is bad. Like, do you have to have that conversation with him? Or is he just kind of, you know, because he's, he's done a million speeches, right? It's kind of like when we had Dale Brown on the, he just, you know, Lee and I still laugh about the fact that we had Dale Brown, the, L, the former LSU basketball coach, he was promoting a book. We came, He came on, we said hello. Dude went straight 14 minutes, did not stop. I'm not exaggerating. We did not ask one question. Finally, we had to break in. It was like, we got to go. But I'm, so I'm wondering, these guys are so pre-programmed with so many stories and anecdotes at, at this point. I'm wondering if Pete Rose just kind of starts going and, you know, does, does, does Nick Saban throw his oatmeal cream pie at him during it to, to kind of keep him on track to say gambling is bad, don't do it? I'm not, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have brought him in, but again, I wonder the mindset of those players not even knowing who he is. They can't relate to him. Yeah. Uh, by the way, speaking of the lottery, there's a Powerball winner. One single Powerball winner. How much? It was over $1.5 with a B. Wow. Yeah. So, do you know what state? Florida. What area? That I don't know. Because a lot, as you know, the person who also sells them the ticket gets a little bitty uh, money, too, out of this, the the the. the, the market or wherever he got it from was it at like I, I mean you don't know that but i'm just curious was it a gas station was it at one of those convenience stores or that's great so they finally got that done huh 1.5 so i wonder after neptune taxes, beach florida it's uh east of jacksonville right so after taxes how much 
I, I'm look. I'm throwing this out not to you so much, Mark. I'm just curious. After it doesn't matter. It had I a mean, cash option, a one-time payment of seven hundred eighty-three point three million dollars. I'd take it. I would take it. But you really, I mean, it goes. I mean, I would take it. Of over. course, all of us would take it. But you're kind of getting screwed. You're only getting half of it. Yeah. Well, you're only getting half. Uh, true, but it's still it'll. Pre- you know, there are horror stories out there about lottery winners who raked in all this money and, and things went south that they went broke they bad investments you know how once see if if i ever won and it and i'm not going to win because i don't buy lottery tickets because they're not immediately available here but i'm not going to win my dad played every day up in new jersey i don't he never he never won big but the thing is if i ever won I would keep it quiet for a long time. Do you know, I would not let the information out because I think you're given a year, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, how – do you know – I know many of us out there would love to try, but do you know how hard it must be to try to blow $783 million? You could probably buy two sports franchises for that. I mean, that's that's an insane amount of money. I mean, think about it. You get yourself a big, nice house couple of nice cars you get yourself a second house you probably still got 80 percent of your money left you know getting back to the netflix johnny manzel documentary yesterday you'll remember during the documentary how he went on one of these spending binges he wanted to just remember where he yeah. said i want to clean out everything i have and then i'm going to take my life he, he was going to like party 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 get rid of all the money so you know, how many people like, you know, and, and again, I don't have an answer for this, but if you get you break in 738 uh, million, uh, do you do you invest? Do you, you all of a start spending on things that you don't have? And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm a, I don't know the person who won, but I mean, perhaps, you know, they're down and out or maybe they're well to do and that would have something to do with it. Or do you start looking for investments? Wouldn't that make you guys mad if the if the if the person that won the was a one point five billion was, a, was already rich. Yeah, man, a CEO of a company or something like that. They ought to make a rule in the lottery. Like you got to be able to show your yearly income, and if it if it if it exceeds a certain level, you're not eligible. Key there is finding somebody you trust to talk to. I would not go out for press conferences. I would try to keep it low key because you know people are just going to be banging on the door and like, hey, remember me? I was in third grade with you and you promised me this or that and I gave you lunch one day and you said you'd reimburse me. For that uh, for that snack pack. How many homes is enough? How many homes would you buy? I think we talked about this with the yeah, whole we did. We thing. did with the Saban. How I'd, many homes is enough? I, need, I think I need one in the Caribbean. I'd probably get one a little bit closer on the beach there in Destin or Orange Beach, and then I'd go. I'd go probably mountains, little nice little uh, nice little place in the mountains, for starters. Okay, seven hundred. I've heard Vale is very nice. Let's say if you want, would you like give us two weeks' notice or just not even show up? Oh no, I'd come gloat. (laughs) You'd come gloat. Yeah. What if Nick? Uh, you'd be giving away I, Chick-fil-A cards. I'd be giving. I'd do my own trivia. I'd be dropping. You buy, no, you'd buy a Chick-fil-A. Bills. No, you'd be buying a Chick-fil-A. I'm like today. I'm going to invest uh, in Chick-fil-A today. Today's trivia question, sponsored by me. Winner gets a hundred dollar bill. Would you come in and disperse some money for Nick or me? Oh, I, I'd make it rain in here. I'd just throw money everywhere. Or better yet, I'd say I'd make it rain. Again, in here. I'd have to look for tax write-offs too. You got yeah, to look well, for tax write-offs. Clearly, this is not an issue you got to deal with. 
Uh, so you guys are stuck with me for the foreseeable future. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back, wrap up hour number one. Justin Baker on Kevin Brown. Billy Lucci, the executive editor of Tex Ags, was a very prominent uh, uh, character in the Johnny Manziel Netflix documentary yesterday that dropped. Uh, he will join us at 7.30. Chris Stewart and Richie Riley all coming up as well. A busy Wednesday edition. It's the opening kickoff right here on the sports station, WNSP. Justin. Hey, this is Ladarius Owens, former Auburn football player and current CFM player. You're listening to WNSP. Orlando sends it fair by Hayes. The Braves have taken the lead as the big bear Marcelo Zuna comes home. And Pilar slides in safely on his heels. All right, 6.57, talking uh, some baseball coming up in hour number two with Justin Baker. Guys, I need to tell you guys. We got something pretty special coming up. August 17th, as you guys know, this year is the 30th anniversary of WNSP. So the celebration continues with our annual fall football preview party. We're at Heroes uh, August 17th uh, on Old Shell Road, right around the corner from South Alabama. You have a chance to win a mini man cave. That's right. Mini Man Cave. We got a couple. We're pairing two great prizes for an extraordinary gift just in time for the college football season. Thanks to Bailey's TV and mattress, we have a 65-inch 4K TV to go along with our recliner valued at $1,800. It's going to be awesome. The recliner got the 360 uh, swivel, adjustable hands-free recline, the memory foam setting. It's going to be awesome. We're pairing them together. You you could walk away with the mini man cave just for hanging with us at Heroes on Thursday, August Thanks to Barrow Fine Furniture for that, by the way. Brian Bailey, who is donating that 65-inch smart TV, also reminds that when the winner comes by you might want to take a look at the traeger grill also uh that's not part of the package but uh they they certainly are very much involved with uh, selling traeger grills but the tv yep it's uh, part of the package so we're all going to be out there and hanging out it's it's we're just gonna we're just gonna randomly get on the on the on the radio that afternoon man it, it might be like lee and Corey. it might be like nick and Bronner. It might be like me and Scott Hunter. You just don't know what the pairings are going to be. But come on by. There are going to be some other door prizes for you as well. We're going to have some WNSP t-shirts to celebrate. I'm hearing some Some, rumors and speculation about some golf passes as well. Some special guests are scheduled to appear. How about that? It's going to be awesome. Someone in the uh, app, maybe the Mega Millions winner will pay for Florida State's buyout. Well played. Well played. All right, Justin Baker is next. Billy Lucci in hour number two as well. Stay with us. The opening kickoff. This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. 
the opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. Hey, good morning. Welcome into hour number two. It's the opening kickoff. Mark Lee, Triple G, all in the studios of WNSP. You got a big one uh, already in progress. Thanks for hanging with us. Let's get you caught up. All right. Normally, when we bring in Justin Baker uh, from Atlanta, uh, who covers the Braves and the Falcons and was a longtime Bay Bears announcer. You know, we talk about uh, Braves or Falcons, but we're going to go in a different direction. Justin, first of all, good morning, and thanks for getting up with us. How are you today? Good morning, gentlemen. I'm doing well. Hope we're all having a great week so you far. Know, I, I preface that. Obviously, you're up. You're getting ready to go to work, or you're already at work, so our time difference, uh, certainly in the Eastern time zone. I want to... As long as you announce, and you know a lot of these announcers. Now, first of all, are you fam- are you like on a main basis with this Kevin Brown of the Orioles? Uh, I don't know him personally, but I do. Um, I did work and have had others work for me who work in the Orioles uh, organization and the broadcast group. And of course, you. I know you guys had Tim Harry on yesterday. Um, it is kind of a fraternity, so I don't know him directly, but certainly know a lot of people who know him well and can uh, speak very highly of him and his um, kind of rise into the broadcast ranks as he's continued to further his career. Fill in the blanks for me in reading the update on Kevin Brown, who was suspended. I'm reading where he is going to come back on Friday, but has he been doing radio? I know he was like their TV uh, uh, play-by-play announcer, but did he do a couple of radio games during this suspension, or was that misleading? Uh, It's misleading. He did one radio uh, appearance after his TV appearance in which he had um, honestly given context to the Orioles' turnaround this season. Um, as far as how it ended uh, in the last couple of years, as far as how they played at Tropicana Field against the Rays, and then um, how they've turned that around this season. And um, he, after that TV broadcast, he did one radio broadcast and has not been on the air yet in August. Um, you know, that was towards the end of July. So uh, when he comes back Friday night, it'll be his first broadcast in well over two weeks. Um, and it's honestly, Lee, it's, it's a joke. Uh, John Angelos, who took over for his father in 2020, um, you know, his, I think his father's 94 now, uh, has just made a series of decisions in the last three years that are honestly um, a mockery of, of how anything should be run, uh, let alone a professional baseball team. It's, it's quite sad what's going on up there. Um, you're talking about an egotistical lunatic uh, when it comes to some of these business decisions. And, um, you know, when you have a, a Silver Spoon uh, kid, you know, I want to say, I know he's obviously um, a grown man at this point, but the way that he's running this franchise is like someone that just doesn't have context to real-world um, use. And I think he's quickly uh, has already kind of got a bad reputation with the, the Orioles fan base for how he's running the team. Um, just these rash decisions like this are, are uh, kind of adding up. And this goes back to an owner who in 2020 um, made it very clear when he took over for his father, he didn't want anything negative to be said about the Orioles. Orioles uh, broadcasters and print media aren't allowed to mention guys like uh, Adam Jones and Manny Machado, guys that left in free agency. Um, they're not allowed to mention uh, or the trades, I should say, the guys that they got back in trades. They can't mention who they were traded for. Um, can't mention, you know, former Oriole greats. Like, they don't want to look on the past. And when I say they, I mean, um, you know, John Angelos and how he runs this team. He just doesn't want the past to be brought up. He's only looking forward to the future. And um, the ramifications for those that speak uh, out of turn, so to speak, on how he wants things run, 
um, they're slapped with either losing their job or being suspended. Is the case they had? I think it was their PA announcer was fired at the beginning of the season because um, he was, um, I guess, critical in tweets of the Orioles. But uh, everything that I've seen from Kevin and those that have ever said anything about the Orioles is always going to be in a very objective term, and they're just providing context. So what's happened in this case is honestly just embarrassing for the Orioles franchise, which we should be focused on how good of baseball they're playing right now, not how maniac their uh, their owner is acting. Gustin Baker is with uh, 92.9 The Game uh, FM in Atlanta. So let me ask you this. So he becomes the fall guy, but what about the the PR person who put out the notes that included the factual information that Kevin Brown was talking about. What about the graphics guy that puts the graphics up? And what about the director or the producer? Because it's not just one person when it comes to doing a TV telecast. There's a lot of moving parts. Did, did anybody else get suspended? Not that we know. That hasn't come out yet. I know, uh, you know, John Angelos is very disturbed by the fact that this um, Kevin Brown story, quote-unquote, leaked. Um, you know, I have my theories on where that came from and why that story got out, but I know that the, the fallout of this is uh, blown up in his face, and I don't I don't know why he didn't see this coming, but um, if there is suspensions of others that hasn't got out, and i got to be honest with you, it's because I don't think that uh, the director, the graphics producer, or the uh, media relations person who printed out the game notes has an agent who can represent their, you know, their best interest. Um, you know, if I'm Kevin Brown right now, it's great to hear last night audibly uh, in Camden Yards and to be able to hear the fans say, free Kevin Brown, free Kevin Brown. And you know that just drove John crazy um, up in the owner's suite. But these other people that were all part of this production team, and you got to remember, here's the other thing that's weird about the Orioles is they own uh, you know, Masson as far as their, their TV production rights group. So in theory, uh, John is, and really in practice, I should say, John is the kind of the CEO and the top of his own broadcast group um, as far as that deal worked out when the Nationals moved to town as well. So um, he's kind of the head man. Um, so those people that had put the graphic up and had run through the pregame production and all of this to set this up for Kevin, uh, yeah, they're all kind of in the same boat. And the sad part is, is whether they've been suspended or not, um, you know, nothing that they said was wrong or even meant to shed a negative light on the Orioles as much as to try to highlight the turnaround that this team has had. And for a 56-year-old man to just not grasp that concept is is honestly uh, shocking, appalling, and, and just kind of sad, to be honest with you. Justin Baker, our guest here on WNSP. So if you were in Kevin's shoes, in all things being equal, there's another opportunity, it, 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 you know, at another franchise don't you have to be gone? Like, as, as, a, as, a, as a guy that is very familiar with that line of work, Justin, as someone that does that, you, you can't really work for a guy that's going to censor you, right? Not to that degree. No, and not in, a, in an arena when censorship really shouldn't be ever a uh, discussion, right? Um, right. There's, you got to have a, a, um, you know, a certain level of, I don't want to say secrecy, but, you know, confidence and trust in um, – the way that you know roster moves are handled, or what you hear on the plane, or what you hear in the clubhouse, there's got to be that level of discretion, sure. uh, of understanding like what is a common conversation that you have with one of your players or a fellow, you know, former player maybe, or that's a fellow broadcaster. Like, what are you having dinner conversation with versus what is actual, you know, on the field uh, X's and O's you can bring up in the broadcast. But the fact that they can't even bring this up, like, I, I don't. It's a great question, Mark. I don't see how Kevin comes back. I think it's great for him because he obviously comes out of here as the martyr. 
and sure. you know john yeah. comes out as the villain as he should you're talking about an owner who was the last owner to send his broadcast crew to away games even as recent as 2022 citing health concerns when it's very clear uh, that that was a money grab move. He was the only one and felt like they could do it remotely. And I can tell you guys from doing this job and from others that do it at the highest levels, it is very hard to do a job remotely when you are disconnected from the team. It's uh, you know it's like trying to get to know someone over phone versus in person. It's a completely different ball game. So uh, no, I mean answer your question, Mark. I'd be shocked if he comes back. I think he rides this momentum into the best gig he can find this off season. And there's always going to be one or two spots. And if I'm another owner, the way that Kevin has not come out and said anything about this, and then what's going to be really important is how he publicly responds when he comes back on Friday, which hopefully. Friday, he doesn't even mention it like he was gone, but in his off-air comments and what he says to others, I think is going to go a long way as to where he can take his career from here. He's only 33 years old, so um, it's not like a guy who's on the back end of his career who may decide that this is it after a year or two, but I'm with you. I'm not coming back for an owner like that who's going to try and tell me what I can and can't say when what I said was just simply adding context to the turnaround of your team. Plus, when when he, if he does come back uh, for the Seattle-Baltimore series this weekend – do you have to start second guessing anything you say or be very careful? I, I mean, all you're doing is regurgitating notes that are given to you, the PR staff, right? I mean, are you going to be, oh, should I say this or not? And and w- which takes away from you know your broadcast. Um, the, when I've listened to Kevin over the last three seasons, really, uh, I haven't heard you know anything that would lead me to believe that he feels even after this incident, that he would have to, to watch what he says. you got to remember he has his own team as well, right? He's got an agent that's coaching him through it. He has peers. And what I really, really love is the amount of current play-by-play broadcasters, not just in baseball but across all professional sports, that have come to Kevin's defense. And I have no doubt that many of them have reached out with advice. Um, Kevin's an ultimate professional from everything that I've heard from others that know him personally. So, I don't think that he's going to go into it looking over his shoulder about what I can and can't say. If anything, he might have a little bit more freedom to say more now because the court of public opinion um, has clearly you know, condemned uh, yeah. John Angelos' idea that anyone should be suspended for simply spouting notes. But now are you going to see a graphic like that pop up again on his network? Probably not. Um, I think you're going to have more conversations between the director and the producer and the on-air talent before they go on. They've got a big broadcast team. Um, it's not just, you know, Kevin in this case. They do a really good job of splitting it. But, um, no, I think Kevin's going to handle this professionally, and I wouldn't be looking over my shoulder. If anything, I would feel like, hey, now that I know I've got the public's uh, support and those of my peers and my colleagues around other teams, if anything, you know, I should feel less stressed because I know they're going to have my back no matter what. Hey, from a personal standpoint, were you ever censored for anything you said, uh, Bay Bear broadcast or any other broadcast? No, no, not not that I can uh, recall. Um, no, I had a great experience in Mobile, and uh, nothing nothing negative to say about the team. Um, you guys got to remember when I was in Mobile. I mean, that was a, it was a great time to be there. Um, the team was winning. There was a lot of importantly a lot of young talent that was coming through to the Diamondbacks organization when I was there. They were the Padres before that. Um, and so to be able to have the fans show up, I know there were a lot of nights, especially in those later years, where. Um, the times that I were there were some of the better attended games in the last five or six years before I had gotten there. So um, never had anything negative to say about the team, anyone in ownership, and certainly not the fan base. Um, if anything, it was all complimentary, and that was just organic and natural because there wasn't anything negative to say from the way that the organization was run um, to the players that came through, the relationship we had with the Diamondbacks. 
Uh, but no one at any point ever came into came into my booth and told me what what to say and what not to say. Um, so no, I felt uh, very blessed in that that realm, and I would think that a lot of other broadcasters could say the same about um, their director of broadcasting or their ownership group. In this case, you know, the owner is the director of broadcasting, so to speak, in the Orioles' case, and I think that's where it gets a little murky. You got to have a middleman there, someone to kind of um, you know separate ownership's interest from what what goes out as far as a talent standpoint each and every game. Justin, thanks for jumping aboard with us, man. It's a fascinating story, and I'm curious to see how it plays out, man. We'll be in touch. Have a great week. Likewise, guys. You too. That's Justin Baker. Ladies and gentlemen, we come back. We'll see if we can catch up with Roy Hudson. Billy Lucci, the executive director of Tex Ags, played a prominent role in the uh, Johnny Manziel Netflix documentary that dropped yesterday. I thought it was incredibly compelling stuff. We talked a lot about it in hour number one. We'll get back to it in uh, about uh, 13 or so minutes. Uh, Chris Stewart's going to join us at 8 o'clock and Richie Riley in hour number three as well. Stay with us. The opening kickoff continues. Hello, Mobile. This is Damian Craig, and I'm listening to Sports Station WNSP. Uh, it's impossible for you not to visit with Peyton because he demands it. <laughs> I mean, it's like um, I'm in my phone every day. Hey, coach, you got any free time today? Hey, coach, you got any free time today? And um, he's uh, and I love that about him. And and so yes, I I feel very comfortable with who he is and his leadership and his desire and his preparation and his football IQ. 724, welcome back in. The opening kickoff continues. All right, so on a day that Jack Claus Hunter returns for Auburn, Roy Hudson returns to WNSP. Roy, good morning. How are you today? Doing well, doing well. Yeah, that was good news to have uh, Hunter back out there at uh, practice. Obviously, he's going to be a big part of uh, Auburn's offense, especially with uh, with the quarterback room so uncertain of that, who's going to be that starter. You've been to Auburn football games before. Did you ever roll Toomer's Corner? Oh, my gosh, yeah. That's just a great experience for Auburn fans. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I think it's just a, a tradition like the Eagle flying after a good victory, go out there, throw a few uh, rolls of toilet paper up in the trees, and uh, just enjoy it. All right, I – I'm uneducated on this because I've never done this or been there. Do they do they supply the toilet paper? Or do you bring your own? Uh, no, you bring your own to that. And uh, any any uh, building between the football stadium and uh, the trees are at risk because I think a lot of people dive in there and grab the uh, toilet paper out of there. But uh, you know, a lot of uh, Auburn people are optimistic. They uh, they take their toilet paper uh, expecting a win, although you know. Here in the last few years, it hadn't been so much of a guarantee, but uh, there for a while it was, and uh, it's just a, it's just a fun time. Roy, let's get back to the uh, basics here at Community Bank. Why should our listeners bank with you? You know, I'm sitting here. I'm in traffic this morning and, and listening to some of the commentary uh, on the radio about uh, the traffic. And, you know, instead of sitting there like in the uh, the line dropping off the kids, you know, we got that app, CB to go. And I just think the technology that we have just separates us a little bit. You could be in the car waiting on something, pull up the app on the on the phone and, and conduct business, look to see if a check's cleared. 
and uh, transferring money to your kid now going to college. So it's just uh, uh, the technology just makes a tremendous difference. And I think I always talk about the people and, and having a deep bench, but our technology is just extremely well as, as uh, likewise. And so that's one of the things that I just like to talk to people about too is how you can, you know, be busy, but yet take a second, do your banking, and then continue on with your, with your life. Mark had mentioned about the winner, the Powerball, Mark. I think you said $1.5 billion. Yeah, over $1.5. Yeah. So if you won something like that, would you put it all in the bank? Uh, probably to begin with and then probably disperse it from there into a bunch of different investments. But, yeah, that is crazy, the size of that Powerball. And uh, somebody's world has definitely changed for sure. Pay for a nice trip to Europe, wouldn't it? <laughs> it definitely would. Uh, yeah, you know that Europe's on the top of my mind right now. But, uh, yeah, they uh, they could do a lot of stuff with that. Hopefully they'll do uh, some good for their community wherever they're located and help out a lot of people in need. Appreciate you joining me, Roy. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful right. day. Roy Hudson, Community All right, Bank. thank you. All right, so coming up next, uh, really excited. We're going to talk to Billy Lucci of uh, Tex Ags. He was part of the Johnny Manziel documentary that dropped on Netflix yesterday. Uh, Lee and I both watched it. I I was more fascinated with it than you were, um, mostly because you said you knew a lot of what Mark, was, was it? I, I'm entertained by it. I do like sports documentaries, but when it says untold documentary, I'm waiting for the wow factor. I'm waiting to be told something. Wow, I didn't know that. Well, but I didn't run into that. There were a couple things, like the fact that his grandfather essentially funneled or you know laundered money for him. I thought was really funny. Uh, I will say I didn't know about that, yeah. but I didn't. Uh, the way his dad threw A and M under the bus for not holding him accountable. Uh, the amount of money Texas A and M made off Johnny Manziel's freshman year, like uh, it said, they A and M got like thirty-seven and a half million on on uh, free advertising, just on the Heisman, winning the Heisman alone. But, you know, they raised 730-plus million in one year, which was 300 million more. And, and you know, Nate created that narrative of the Manziels being rich so that they could explain all these um, lavish uh, things he was buying. Uh, the fact that he had his agent and his lawyer run routes during a workout because his receivers were passed out. I mean, all, I, I thought all that was compelling. Oh, and oh, yeah, uh, he cheated drug test at A&M. You didn't know that one. Tell me you didn't know that one. You knew that one? Not No, I didn't know that, but I know athletes do cheat on drug tests. Well, sure. Anyway, I thought it was great stuff. We're going to talk to Billy Lucci next. Stay with us. off again. Oh, stiff arm. Out of bounds. Snap from Patrick Lewis. Four-man Alabama rush. Got him. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. Yep. How about that? All right. We are, you, you remember those plays. Uh, it drove Alabama fans absolutely nuts. But according to the Netflix uh, document, document, documentary, uh, that game started. It had already kind of started, but that put it in a 
the whole Johnny football in a different stratosphere. Alabama was number one. They go into Tuscaloosa. They score three right off the bat. It's 20 to nothing. Alabama rallies, makes it a close game. As Johnny Manziel said in the documentary, that game, that, that Alabama offense was absolutely loaded, right? TJ Yeldon, Eddie Lacy, uh, uh, they, were, they were loaded. So, of course, they came back. The interesting, uh, one of the interesting things about that, and I wrote about this for AL.com, um, and Billy Lucci actually uh, told the story in the documentary. Um, he called kind of that last touchdown. Well, let's let's bring in uh, Billy Lucci right now here on WNSP, the executive editor of TexAgs.com. Good morning, sir. Uh, big day today. Yeah, pretty pretty crazy day. Yes, you know, I start. We watched that deal. Kind of our whole office. We had a little watch party nice. last night at, I don't know, like 7 p.m. So all day, you know, I was sitting there hearing about it, going, gosh, I really want to watch it. But I couldn't I couldn't uh, cheat the group when they, they rented us that little movie theater and did all that. So I had to sit there all day. But throughout the day, you know, I was hearing everybody uh, talking about it. So I knew there was some good buzz. All right. So let me ask you, before we get to the, into the details, was it portrayed the way you envisioned it? Was it accurate? I know a lot of documentaries kind of have a slant and agenda. Do you feel like this was portrayed fairly? Yeah, I thought it, I thought they did a great job. I mean, it was, you know, like everybody keeps saying, I, I do know there was a lot more that could have been told, you know, just in terms of to go deeper into that 2012 season. Um uh, his red shirt year, just little things. I mean, I don't know how eventful that was, but that's kind of that quiet year nobody knows about, you know. Was and and I don't I don't think he was just from talking to like him and Mike Evans over the years. Like he wasn't off the rails at all. That that red shirt year was probably the hardest working year he's ever had. You know, he's battling for a job and uh, or. That was, you know, and then there was a coaching change with Mike Sherman and Sumlin and Cliff come in. They're moving to the SEC. You know, he redshirted. Um, crazy that Johnny Manziel and Mike Evans were, were red shirts uh, <laughs> while A&M finished out the Big 12 under Mike Sherman and went 6-6 six and six and blew like five double-digit second-half leads. So there, there are things, but I just thought they did an incredible job of, you know, you have 70 minutes and what they were able to do in, in condensing that into that amount of time, uh, I thought it was very accurate. I thought it was very fair. I thought it was, uh, you know, they portrayed, they, they, they were really good with Johnny. You know, they did a really good job up or train Johnny and making you kind of feel what he went through and kind of ride that roller coaster with him. Billy Lucci joining us, uh, editor of TexAgs. Billy Lucervanian, good morning. How are you today? Uh, I'm good, Lee. How are you? you um, I wanted to get your reaction when you said it was portrayed accurately. The, one of the things that I wanted to ask you was about the father basically throwing Texas A&M under the bus. Did you feel that was fair? Uh, dude, I think I, he, as a dad, I've always understood Paul's frustration, you know. Um, but I also, I also think 
there's a there's a degree where he he probably didn't understand. If you look at, watch the documentary, there's one thing that that I think even Johnny would agree with, and people that were around at that time still talk about. And I know Coach Sumlin felt that way. Was his best years were when he was at Texas A&M, like in terms of. Yeah, he he partied and he went and did the autograph things, but his best years uh, in terms of just his, the best years of his life were when he was at A&M. And, and Johnny himself has told me, you know, man, many times over, he knew he couldn't come back. You know, looking back and just seeing the situation, like it was just going to be nearly impossible for him to come back. Maybe in an NIL world he could have, but – uh, just his pace and what he was doing. Just like he said, he was kind of like a, a big fish in a small pond at that point. But, you know, he wishes he would have come back for an, for one more year in mm-hmm. hindsight. Uh, also understanding how difficult and if not impossible that would have been, just the stress that it was probably putting on him and, you know, Kevin Sumlin and the athletic department. You know, it was it's not something that was really feasible, but he just wishes he could have done that. And look, the reality is, Lee, and I think if you watch that documentary, that's why I think they did a good job of portraying it. Let me ask you how this. how ahead, prepared could anyone at any school ever have been for what you saw and what what the 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 kind of explosion in popularity and that. Here's my other thing, too. He was disciplined when he got in the fight. He almost got kicked out of school. Uh, there was a huge uh, – it, it took a while for them to determine that he wasn't going to be suspended for an entire year by the university, kicked out of school. So I think I get the dad side of it, but I also think there was a long time. You know, Johnny was 18 when he got to A&M. Uh, he wasn't the finished product when he got there, but – a lot of the stuff that, that Johnny did was because Johnny was who Johnny was when he got to Texas A&M. Do you think things would have played out a lot differently had he not won the Heisman? Because obviously that whole thing really grew in the money and to the university. I mean, he wins it in his first full year. Like if he had stuck around, maybe won it in his junior year, he maybe had matured a little bit, that th- his life could have been a lot bit different. I, I just looked at it, and I, I kind of felt this even before the documentary, too much too soon. Yeah, I definitely think that. And I watched it firsthand. I mean, I had front row seat for that and knew it when it was happening. And, you know, when – do I think – like I said a minute ago, Johnny's Johnny. So had that happened when he was a little older – I mean, he's still wired the same. Do I think if it happened a couple of years later, he'd have had a lot more of a chance to handle it? Of course, no question about it. But at the same time, I, I'm, it could have been the same. Could have been the same result. It could have, but it, it would have given him a much better chance. All right, so let's back up a second to that point because you made a comment in the doc that I thought was really interesting so you go back to the Alabama game freshman year by the way great story about Manziel before he goes out and throws uh for the game essentially the game winning touchdown that was fantastic 
But the oh, you yeah. mentioned the two plays versus Alabama. You said changed Johnny's life. And we're talking about the wheel route that got him to the 20 and then the corner route that scored the touchdown. I'm curious. If those uh, – if those plays don't happen in that way, is Johnny still Johnny on the field? And maybe the the Johnny football off the field isn't a thing? Or I guess expound on that statement. Yeah, no, I just thought, you know, putting it real simply, uh, those two throws, Bama wins that game if he doesn't come out and right. do that. You know, they had they had reclaimed all of the momentum. Uh, A&M would have blown a 20 to nothing lead. Uh, he would have still had an incredible year. He would have been a Heisman Trophy finalist. He would not have won the Heisman Trophy as a freshman. You know, that Bama game essentially clinched it. If you look at who A&M played after that, I forget if there was a third game in there, but it was like Sam Houston and a bad Missouri team. Uh, it was over at that point. You know, when he – when he made those two passes and when A&M held on and won that game, uh, he, he clinched the Heisman, and that certainly changed his life uh, in terms of not, you know, it, it just from there, that month, man, it was from that Scooby-Doo night yeah. to the Cotton Bowl. Well, I don't know what the statute of limitations are, but he ought to be – not statute of limitations, but the, the uh, wait period. But he ought to be a, a immediate inductee in the Cotton Bowl Hall of Fame for one game. Uh, I think he had – I know he set the record, but it was like 550, 560 yards of offense against Oklahoma. Uh, ran them completely out of the building, which it was one of the more incredible performances I've ever seen by a quarterback in a game. By the way, his sophomore year, which kind of was a gloss over, just yeah. a little bit more too. Johnny had, I think, between Alabama and Auburn that year, who that was an Auburn team that played, you know, played for the national title. Uh, that that year, I think Johnny had like 900 yards of total offense against those two teams. That was his sophomore year when he was going through all the struggles and it was, you know, just all the turmoil and stuff. So he, I saw an Alabama, a few Alabama fans go, oh, they have one good game against Bama. And it's like, you guys don't understand this guy on back-to-back -back weeks, his freshman year as a redshirt freshman, like his fourth and fifth game ever broke uh, Archie Manning's total offense record and it broke it one week and reset it the next week. I mean, that's how, insane what what he was doing was um but no i i think that had he not you know had they not scored there bama probably wins um it sure felt like it to anybody that remembers that game and they probably win he doesn't win the heisman and maybe it goes the way lee's talking about maybe he went is is hungrier and wins it the next year or maybe re, you know really focuses himself maybe um, you know, the party train doesn't quite pick him up, you know, and it passes him by for another year. And, and, you know, but I still think, man, if that happened a year later, guys, I think Johnny still does what Johnny did. Billy, let me ask you, um, I want to get away from the football field, the, the, the family. I, I, you know, I, I hated that the, the family was fractured, the, uh, 
parting of the way in a sense. But at the end of the documentary, the son comes home, uh, nowhere else to go. What, what, where is he today? And I'm not just talking about where he's living, but I mean, what, what is he doing? What, what, you know him pretty well. What, what's he want to do? And, and will he ever get back into football, like coaching or anything like that? Does he care? I don't think he'll coach. Um, I never say never. I mean, I don't know, didn't Ryan Leafs coach or something? Yes, but he did. He, I don't think he. I don't think he's got a desire to to coach. Um, I could see him coming back at some point to Texas A and M in some capacity, and I think that he's already he's already reached out. I've connected him with the right people, and they've talked about it. You know, A and M has never pushed him away. They it's open arms here in College Station. You know, the, the there's not the athletic director. Uh, he's got a pretty good a real good relationship with Ross Bjork. Jimbo has welcomed him with open arms. You know, those weren't the guys that coached him or were AD when he was here. They were sitting there watching him do it from afar. You know, Jimbo was watching him win the Heisman before uh, the year before Jameis won it, and Ross Bjork was somewhere. I don't, I don't think he was at Ole Miss then, but he was somewhere watching this phenomenon, just like uh, me and you were. So. A&M has really uh, – he's got it open. You know, he comes to games. They honor, they, you know, they have him, you know, on the field every game, waving. You know, he can do what he wants around here. Um, I think, number one, Johnny would – you know, he, he started the process. He, he does What he doesn't want to do, and I think this is right, and we've talked about this a lot, don't come back and take some kind of – job in fundraising where you have a lot, you know, you overextend yourself and make promises that you're not yet ready to keep in terms of commitment and uh, just kind of being reliable and responsible. And he, he's not there yet. He's still having fun, but he's certainly, I mean, a million miles further down the road towards, I think, really finding himself and figuring it out. I mean, you, you, what he's done in the last five years on a personal level, if, if you really know him, it's like, okay, this is uh, that's real progress. And you see that, okay, it's going to, you can kind of tell how it's going to end up. And I think it's going to end up where he's, he's happy. He's always going to be Johnny. He's always going to make sure, you know, have fun and want to be around people. And, you know, he's not going to run from the party, but, uh, I could see him ending up back at A and M, uh, and you know, playing a real role in like the you know some kind of job where he represents whether it's A and M, A and M football, A and M athletics, and gets compensated pretty you know pretty well for it. I think that's that's uh, the end game for him. But I think he make a lot of money. He's been he's been making money. I mean, he's still, and that's part of I think the doc is like. In two years, he really had two years of football. If you really think about it, that, that anyone knows or cares about, he really had two years of football. And it's ten years later, still moving the needle. I mean, those that group, they did such an amazing job. Uh, Ryan and the Netflix group. But they just did the Jake Paul one the week before, and I watched that and really liked it. But it didn't move the needle. You didn't see people on social media. And this is all anyone's been talking about uh, since it came out. There was great buildup, and then it delivered. Um, a full deck 
decade later plus, he's moving the needle despite, again, like I said, played two years of football. There was a special there was a special thing about the way he played and stuff, and he can still monetize uh played and lived, mind you, and he can still monetize that that fame and do all that and and that wave I think just uh kind of crested again and he can ride that a little longer with this documentary in terms of, of making a real living. People always go, Does he make any money? And I'm just going, guys, y'all don't understand. Yeah. Just in a word, yes, you know. Uh, so I think you know that'll this will create maybe some more opportunities for him in the immediate. But then down the road, I think he ends up affiliated and connected with A and M, and that that path is there for him. I think everyone's made that real clear to him. Billy, uh, we only got a, just a minute or so more. Quick Q and A, quick uh, rapid fire for you. Uh, I thought it was uh, fascinating that it was revealed uh, during the course of the doc that he basically had someone take his urine test form at A&M. Did that shock you in any way whatsoever? No, no. That dude, him and you saw Uncle Nate and, I mean, they, they were they were crafty and constantly scheming. Crafty and constantly scheming for guys that at the time were kids, you know. It's like, what in the world are they, you know, it was just. With that said, though, so you brought up with, with Uncle Nate, are you, are you surpri- were you surprised, or maybe you probably already knew, that they have absolutely no relationship to speak of today? Yeah, no, I've known that. I've known that. And, uh, yeah, it didn't surprise me. What about- I mean, it. It surprised. It didn't surprise me. I mean, I think Johnny at the time when he did that was uh, basically like, "I've got to do this." Uh, everyone convinced him that he has to do that for his career, and it wasn't just Nate. And it may seem like Nate, Johnny. You know, when he went to the NFL, a lot of those guys were along for the ride. Nate wasn't. You know, from the outset, for the reasons they said in that doc. But then over time, he also had to do that with other people in his life, too, that were. And Johnny would be the first to tell you, it, it's not them. It's him. You know, he'll, he'll say, like, he'll, he'll take the blame, I think, in some cases, maybe even more than he should for a lot of stuff. Uh, it's just he'll sit there and say, it's me. I, you know, he's, he's always been that way. And uh, qu- not Coach Sumlin, not A&M, not his friends, but. You know, everyone played a part in it, and, and he's just distanced himself from some things. And one of them was uh, one of them was him. And finally, before we let you go, because we're way over, obviously, great stuff, Billy. Thank you so much for joining us. Was there anything uh, no that that hit the cutting room floor that you're aware of that you wish was in the doc that didn't make it? Um, all I know is my what they interviewed me about. Uh, one of the things I talked about was the timing of it all. The timing at A&M was perfect for this, this quarterback and this kid at that time and for this school going into the SEC. Uh, Sumlin and Cliff and that offense were something the league had never seen. Johnny was the perfect trigger man for it. Uh, and then the you know timing of social media to make him as famous as he was and to allow him to have access to these celebrities and things and them to access him and uh, – and then the timing was exactly the same, but it, you know, not, it was the exact opposite. To go to Cleveland at that time, and to you know, in his life, he needed to go somewhere like a Kansas City with Alex Smith and Andy Reid, or Drew Brees with Sean Payton, or 
Patriots with Brady, you know, somewhere where he didn't have to play right away, but he had a real mentor in the form of a coach and another quarterback. Timing got him there. The game was not ready for a quarterback like him. And now you see guys like Mahomes and and Murray, Kyler, and Brett, uh, Mayfield. Those guys all grew up in Texas watching and playing like Johnny football. That's what they did. I mean, I, I heard, uh, what's his name, Wilson with the Jets say the same thing years ago from when he's at BYU. So timing was everything during that stretch here, and the timing got him uh, caught up to him in the NFL. And by the way, before y'all go, I'll just say one more thing. There is another funny story about the Bama game uh, the following year. I told the one about during the game in 2012. He he, get, he made a little phone call to me from the team hotel the night before that 13 Bama game and guaranteed he, he, he somehow got himself all pissed off because Blake Sims or whoever it was simulated him in practice and Saban just made this real benign comment like, hey, you know, he's done a good job of simulating Johnny. And he turned that into getting pissed off about it during the summer. And uh, the night before that game called me and guaranteed that he, he said, I'm going to hang 50 on him and go for about five. I'm going to go for 400 or something, whatever he said. And he almost did it. I think it was 450 yards and 42 points. But uh, he had himself all worked up and fired up about Coach Saban prior to that game. It was pretty funny. Billy, great stuff. We got to run, man. We'll be following you on Twitter at Billy Lucci. Uh, and, of course, we'll be checking out texags.com. Thanks so much for the time. Congrats on the doc. It was great stuff. All right. Thanks, guys. Yep. Yeah. All right. We went incredibly long, so we'll come back just to say we're back so that we can come back with Chris Stewart at 8 o'clock. Hang with us. You guys can react in the app at WNSP.com. It's the opening kickoff right here on the sports station WNSP. Hey, this is Julian Zeus McClurkin with the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters, and my favorite station is WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM. All right, boys and girls, we got basically uh, a minute here because we went along with Billy Lucci. Uh, if you haven't seen the doc, we've probably given it all away anyway. But feel free to uh, uh, check it out. It's on Netflix. If you missed that interview, you can go uh, check us out wherever you find your favorite podcast. Go to WNSP now. Play it back to your heart's content. Uh, a reminder, with only a, a few seconds here in this segment, uh, Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday, August 17th is the b big day. As you know, we've been celebrating our 30th anniversary all year. That celebration continues with our fall football preview party at Heroes in, um, in Westmobile on Old Shell Road. That is uh, August 17th. And we have for you up for grabs. In addition to coming out and hanging with us and getting all sorts of door prizes like T-shirts and golf passes, we have a chance for you to win a mini man cave. That's right. Thanks to Barrow Fine Furniture, we have a recliner valued at $1,800 that we're going to be giving away as part of our mini man cave. That includes the 360-degree swivel, the adjustable hands-free recline, the memory foam seating, and wait, there's more. Bailey's TV and mattress offering up a 65-inch 4K television. It's going to be awesome. Come on out. See all the personalities. Come check us out. Come play. Uh, have some fun with us and talk ball. Let's celebrate. Kick things off right this football season. 
There can be a ton of folks there, some special guests as well. And come win or give yourself a chance to win the mini man cave. It's going to be awesome. All right, hour number two in the books. Here comes hour number three. Chris Stewart, the voice of the Crimson Tide, will kick things off. We'll get you some Chick-fil-A as well. And, oh, yeah, Richie Riley, the South Alabama basketball coach, set to join us as well. Keep your comments coming in the app at WNSP.com. Back after this. This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. 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 Here are Mark and Lee. All right, 804, hour number three here on a busy Wednesday edition. Thanks for hanging with us. Uh, it's uh, Mark and Lee in the studios of WNSP. Some of the uh, headlines, college uh, football headlines at Auburn. Jacquez Hunter returned to practice. Does that mean he'll be ready to go for the first game against UMass? Again, no information coming out. It's been well kept secret why Hunter uh, was suspended indefinitely, but he's back. And is anybody else included in what we don't really have any information on? Well, it's it's widely considered uh, it's being reported that the reason he was suspended was because there was a certain adult themed video that was released online uh, that allegedly shows Hunter uh, potentially involving other players and uh, perhaps a willing participant that was not of age. How's that for? Um, coach speak on the topic so that's been out there a while um now whether or not it, it certainly bodes well that he's on the practice field now whether he misses any playing time i think uh we'll certainly uh we'll have to wait and see but i don't know if there are charges that have been filed or what but that's that's the that's the narrative right now so we'll uh we'll have to keep an eye on that all right the other uh, story of course we mentioned about auburn uh Tumor's Corner now available to roll, and Alabama flips a uh, pretty good uh, defensive back out of California from Georgia. So uh, instead of going to Georgia, uh, Peyton Woodyard is now committed to Alabama. They've got 16. All right, you guys can jump in. Um, it's 694-1055 is the number. We're actually efforting Chris Stewart. We'll get, uh, we'll get him on here in just a little bit. But uh, a couple of things I couldn't get uh, to with Billy Lucci of TexAgs.com about the documentary last night. Uh, and I don't want to give too much away, but we've pretty much done that. We, we blew that out of the water in hour number one. But how funny was it that Manziel's grandfather actually kind of helped funnel him money? He had all this cash, but he couldn't pay cash for everything, like airplane flights. So dude gave his grandfather cash. Grandfather gave him a check that he then put into his checking account and then used which I thought was fascinating. And the other thing I couldn't get to with, with Billy was the, the narrative that Manziel had money and his family had money was just that. It was a narrative that Uncle Nate created for the sole purpose of defending or somehow uh, painting a rosy picture because Manziel had all these 
ridiculous and luxurious things. So we'll get back to all that coming up here in just a little bit. Let's turn our attention to Alabama, shall we? Uh, Chris Stewart uh, of the Alabama Radio Network every Wednesday joins us thanks to Dex Imaging. Chris, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today? Guys, I'm good. How are y'all? Well, somebody who's been in broadcasting as long as you, you're a a great guy to pose this question. So what was your reaction Uh to the Kevin Brown story with the Baltimore Orioles? Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out what he did wrong. Um, And again, I only listened to it twice. I believe, <laughs> and I'm I'm still trying to figure out, especially, uh, and and I think it was oh gosh the guy that that does uh, Yes Network for the Yankees, Michael Michael um, K. Michael K. Michael K. I thought had a great rebuttal about it or, or comment about it, just saying you know look you're going to get rid of him. He was going off of what was a planned graphic uh, that was put up that, again, is just factual. I didn't think it was overly derogatory. You can't sugarcoat what they are, and it was part of telling the story, and I didn't feel like it was in an over-the-top manner. And if you're going to get rid of him or suspend him, you've got to get rid of uh, or suspend producers, graphics people, everybody else. And in that case, you're just – you know, just go ahead and put a commercial up. You know, I I totally understand. There's a difference in doing, and and I've I've talked about this many times, guys. There's there's a difference in doing a broadcast for a school or a team as their network, as opposed to doing a completely neutral broadcast. We've got a we've got an obligation. I feel. Uh, or I do, I'm just going to speak for myself. I feel like I've got an obligation to tell the story as it is, as I see it as accurately as I can. That doesn't mean that I have to be, especially when I'm broadcasting for a, for Alabama, uh, nobody's ever told me that I have to be uh, neutral about it when there's a play that goes against the tide. Nobody tells me. Nobody has ever told me that I can't be excited when something good happens. So when you're working for the the team or the school or a, an entity that's contracted with the school, as I am, and something positive happens, why would I not be excited? If something negative happens, I've still got a responsibility to tell the story as honestly and fairly as I can. But why should I be neutral or <laughs> or even borderline? Uh, happy about a big play that went against my team. You're listening because we're your broadcaster for your program. Why should I have feelings that are that are contrary to yours if they're really not? So, again, I didn't think the guy said anything that that was wrong. I, I might feel differently if I was told, all right, this is what we heard. And then I went back and listened for that specifically, but I think you've got an op- you've got a responsibility to be fair and honest and as accurate as you see it, depending on what your filter is. And let's not forget that, that what he was doing was reading a stat sheet that's prepared by the PR mm-hmm. staff, and you got tons of stuff that is yeah. fed to you, and it was 
graphic and you had the producer or director no uh, doubt. all orchestrating this yeah. and it's the one of the most ridiculous broadcasting stories i mean we, we've heard of broadcasters being suspended or laid off because of uh sensitivity issues and things like that but nothing as ridiculous as this i wanted to ask you have you yeah, ever I, I do want to say real quick i do want to say real quick i worked in pro sports early in my career i was an intern and and make no mistake there are some people in the office that are that are idiots i mean don't think <laughs> that just because you're in the front office that that you're immune to dealing with stupidity because i dealt with it as uh, you know i mean absolute buffoon or two that you know, I'm not sure how they tied their shoes, let alone got the job they got. And <laughs> and I could identify that as a, a 21-year-old early in my career. And looking back on it now, I'm, you know, it, it's even more obvious, and you've seen more of it. But you know, not everybody, not everybody is obviously. I'm just saying, don't think that just because they're in a position of power that they may not be clueless and, and somebody made a mistake in appointing them where they are. Have you ever, after any kind of broadcast, whether it was for Alabama or any other school that you did, either have a coach or a family or get on your case for something you've ever said? Yeah, it absolutely has. And things that I, that I wrote earlier in my career when I was working for a newspaper. Um, and I... It, look, it bothered me more early than it does now, and not that I don't take it serious if I get something now or uh, I think you're incredibly arrogant if you don't at least acknowledge somebody's concern if they've gone to the trouble to reach out. I think you've got you've to critically look at what you said in the context uh, you also understand their position and what they heard and how they may have heard it. Again, if it's family, if it's uh, if it's a, a situation where um, you know you may have been a little too tough, especially in the moment. I'll tell you one that, uh, and I'll leave the name out, but I was doing radio in Tuscaloosa years ago, and there was a, there was an issue that involved. Um, discipline of a player and I just I didn't know the guy at the time uh, I had not talked to anybody about the specifics within the department as to what had transpired but um, it involved a, a guy who was a very young player at the time a freshman and I made the uh, I just made the the statement, hey, we don't know all the facts, and this is an 18, 19-year-old, and while discipline definitely needs to be involved, you know, why are, why are we wanting to throw the baby out with the bathwater or whatever analogy you want to use for, for going over the top with, um, you know, what we're claiming we want done with this? And I had no clue whatsoever, but the kid's grandfather lived in Tuscaloosa where I was doing the show and called me after the show with, with tears. I could, you, could, you could hear the, the, the crying, uh, thanking me for giving his grandson the benefit of the doubt and telling me that 
I was exactly right that not everybody knew the story and it probably didn't need to come out, but that how much he appreciated me, me going that direction. And uh, it's kind of ironic because the guys, the, 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 the kid who I'd never met at that time, uh, again, this has been many, many years ago and he's, he's a friend of mine now, but uh, it was just, it was just interesting, and it, it made me mindful, and I guess it's maybe one of the reasons why I try to be a little slower to judgment. Now, uh, let's be honest. Is it easier to do with your own team? Of course it is. Uh, you want to think the best. You want to give – you know, I, I think this is true in life, In per- period. For people that – if it's us or if it's somebody close to us or tied to us in any way, we want mercy. If it's somebody we don't know, we want justice. And sometimes we go over the top both ways, depending on who it is and what it is we're talking about. I mean, Alabama fans are still looking for the bag man, Chris. Well, of course. (laughs) Hey, uh, Chris Stewart with us for another couple minutes. I got to ask you, so we were talking earlier, Pete Rose comes in. Saban does a great job of getting these guys, right? And there's always a very – Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, there's always a very specific point narrative. Although I got to be honest, I feel like with Rose, he probably has to stay on Pete Rose more than any of his other guest speakers about staying on point, right? I'm assuming the idea is – I would assume. Gambling is tough. Don't do it. It's wrong. But the dude's still gambling, so uh, I feel like maybe you got to throw an oatmeal cream pie at him every once in a while to make sure he stays on topic. I'll tell you, when you went that way, Mark, I started automatically thinking about The Water Boy. Yeah. Remember the movie with Adam Sandler sure. and Lawrence Phillips? Yeah. And after he gets The Water Boy to talk, he goes, this brings us back to my uh, original point, boys. Don't do crack. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, Lawrence Taylor. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. With with Pete, um, I, I look forward to seeing the video. It may be out already, and I've just missed it. But I look forward to seeing the the video of uh, of his speech, a condensed version of what it will be like. But I think, you know, I'm going to guess the heart that Coach is hoping yeah. the guys will get the the message from, regardless of of how it's phrased, is. You can have the best career in the world, but if you screw it up, you're going to create a whole lot of problems for yourself. Chris. Because uh, that's where Pete was, obviously. Chris, let me ask you this. What percentage of the Alabama football team do you think even knows who Pete Rose was? Yeah, hey, that's a great point. That is a great point. I was sitting there thinking that. Um, you know, the, I'm going to guess the guys heard it. I'll tell you another thing that helps now in the technology age. By the time he finished, most of them probably knew because they were probably Googling him. And they were, you know, I don't know if they've got their phones in meeting rooms. Probably not. But I bet you they looked him up later. Or if they knew he was coming in, they may have they may have Googled Pete Rose. And you can find out a lot really quick. Uh, you know, that's the, back in the day when we'd go to the Encyclopedia Britannica. Sure. Uh, and, and go look it up. You know, they've got it at their fingertips. Yeah, I think and, yeah. and they can find all that stuff immediately, and the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, I, I've got a feeling that if they didn't know who he was when he was speaking, that by the end of the day, the ones that really cared and were going to listen to the message anyway knew uh, knew a good bit about him.
I was more of a world book encyclopedia guy, but I mm. but I divert. Uh, I so, understand. Yeah, so understand. I just I just I don't know if like Pete goes there and tries to break the ice and makes a comment like, oh, and by the way, I'm taking the over on you guys, and you could probably just see like Nick Saban cringing or something. You know what I mean? Like that's not what we're talking about here, Pete. Right. Or the guys again, like you said, not having a clue what he was talking about. So did he set um, up? Did he set up an autograph table like he does at Cooperstown? <laughs> I don't know. I was in a mall one time, and I forgot where, but it was really sad because I, I walked by, and there was like one person, maybe two, and it was, you know, I looked, and I felt like I was looking at a sideshow deal, and I thought, this is one of the greatest players in the history of the game, and this is where he is, and this is what, you know, what it's come to, which is, I, I think it's twofold. I think part of it is, you know, shows that there wasn't a ton of money being made even uh, in his time in the 70s, 60s, 70s, but also uh, the money that was left on the table, no pun intended, by him being uh, out of the game for the length of time that he was because he could have made some serious money on the back end as a manager if he had just stayed out of trouble. Yeah. Hey, uh, Chris, great catching up with you as always, sir. Uh, we look forward Same to doing it again it. soon. You got it. Thanks, thanks so much. That's Chris Stewart. Uh, our thanks to Chris Stewart and, of course, Dex Imaging for making that happen. We come back, uh, traffic and weather. Uh, we went long yet again because, you know, we got a lot to say today, I guess. Uh, but you'll have a chance when we come back to win a little fried deliciousness courtesy of uh, Chick-fil-A. And then South Alabama basketball coach Richie Riley scheduled for 8.30. Looking forward to catching up with Coach. Uh, so we got plenty left here on, what's today? Wednesday. A Wednesday edition. It's the opening kickoff right here on the Sports Station WNSP. Hey, this is Buckets Blakes from the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters, and you're listening to WNSP in Mobile. Chick-fil-A. I could eat there seven times a day Where the people laugh and children play Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A 826, here you go. A little fried deliciousness for all you folks listening here in hour number three. Praise first baseman Matt Olson has had an RBI in 11 straight games. Name the last major league player to record at least one RBI in 11 straight games. It goes back about 10, 11 years, and he played for the Colorado Rockies. So if you know the answer, uh, give Nick a call at 694-1055. All right, Richie Riley is next. Also, I've been telling you all like once an hour, every hour here, man. We're celebrating year 30 here at WNSP, and that party, that celebration continues with our fall football preview party, uh, August 17th, right around the corner. At Heroes uh, on Old Shell Road on West Mobile. But big news as of yesterday around this time, you have a chance to win a mini man cave. That's right. So in addition to uh, Barrow Fine Furniture offering up a recliner of $1,800 value, we're also throwing in a 65-inch 4K television, compliments of Bailey's TV and mattress. That's right. Details coming on how to win that. I can tell you this. You're going to have to be there in order to win. That much we know. There are going to be some special guests. We're going to have T-shirts. We're going to have golf passes. We're going to blow this thing out. So come on out and see us. Lee Shervanian's going to be there. 
buying shots for everybody. It's going to be crazy. Well, that's something I wasn't even aware of. Well, we're, 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 we learn something new every day. That's how we get better as people. We just we just keep learning. We evolve, Lee. We and evolve. I'm anxious to hear how uh, the, the, the winners, how this is going to take place. Uh, I'm sure we'll get information on that. And my understanding is that the winner gets the chair and the TV set, correct? Correct. As I, yes, wow. yes. The mini man cave. Mini As it was pointed cave. pointed out, doesn't make it doesn't do us any good to get the recliner and not have anything to look at. Exactly. And I'm vice with you. versa, there's no no point in having this beautiful new television, no place to sit. So the mini man cave, compliments of WNSP, can be yours. You just gotta hang out with us. How that's not terrible. Come hang out, have a good time, and oh yeah, by the way, walk out with you know, more than two grand, twenty five hundred dollars worth of prizes. Sounds like a win win for me. And no, we're not eligible to win. Unfortunately. Nor our family members. Uh oh, really? Uh sorry. Sorry, Nick's dad. I know you're listening. That's the price of fame. Celebrity status, man. Hold you back. All right, continue with your comments in the app. We've been talking a lot about Pete Rose speaking to the Alabama team, the Johnny Manziel uh, documentary dropped. Give us your thoughts on that in the app. We'll come back with Richie Riley, the South Alabama basketball coach, here on a Wednesday edition. It's the opening kickoff. Get enough of this. It's it's like it, it's Bring a it new on. track that just dropped here on WNSP. I don't understand. I the movie hasn't been on for a while. I haven't seen it lately, but I do like the music. That's for sure. And it always ushers in one of our favorite guests, Richie Riley, the South Alabama basketball coach. And this segment, by the way, brought to you by South Alabama Athletics, reminding you to get your tickets for JAG football games at usajaguars.com slash tickets. We ready to go? Yes, we are. Richie, good morning. How are you today? I'm doing great, guys. Good morning. Got a lot to talk to you about. I want to ask you, first of all, though, is your schedule complete yet for basketball? I knew that was coming when I heard the football schedule. No, yeah. I, I was a little <laughs> tougher than football. They, they figure theirs out about four years in advance, um, or probably further than that. Ours is a little bit tougher. We got one more game to get, and um, and we're getting close, so... Hopefully we'll finish it up ASAP so that we can get it out there. Hopefully it's going to be a home game too. So we're trying to try and get that last one. It's hard. It's like, you know, it's, it gets harder every year scheduling. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions. And, you know, when you look at college basketball, is scheduling is probably the toughest thing you do. Um, you know, and it's it's constantly an everyday deal. And hopefully we're hopeful to finish it. It'll be a good feeling when we get it done. You don't have any Pac-12 teams on your schedule this year, do you? No, we don't. Thank goodness. I don't want to. I don't want to travel out there to the West Coast. It, this would be the last year for the 
if you're going to play, you know, they may still call it the Pac-12 if they can somehow form another group of teams. I don't know what they're going to do. Um, I saw Stanford and Cal are potentially going to ACC, and then you know all the other movement is kind of official now. I guess it's uh, it's a crazy time to be in college athletics, and uh, a really difficult time for fans. I think. What do you think about all this, though? Seriously, about these teams going the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, uh, and 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 a, a major conference that's been in existence over a hundred years, perhaps on the verge of disintegrating into the Pacific Ocean. I mean, are you a, a, a somebody who's really been you know a sentimental person when it comes to you know conferences and things like that, or is just because of the way of the world now? But Bill Bill Walton is probably the maddest human being in the world. Nobody loves the Pac-12 like he does. Um, but for for me, it's really odd. I mean, I, I feel like I'm kind of a traditionalist when it comes to the leagues, and I've you know kind of been a sports junkie my whole life. So all this change is is hard to hard to stomach, you know. But it, it's the way things are going. I mean, everything is driven by money. I think everything's driven by football, you know, I think basketball, you know, our, you know, basketball, men's basketball is, you know, the second driving force, but not with all this realignment. I mean, it's crazy how much they've, you know, that all these universities have sacrificed when it comes to travel and it comes to regional rivalries, um, to make sure that they're on the right side of this deal. And it, you kind of knew it was coming for a long time. I think as coaches, everybody's been talking about it for years, that there were going to be these super conferences that were aligned. Um, now that it's finally here, it's, it's it's crazy to look at when you look at who's in the Big Ten. And, you know, you're going from West Coast to East Coast and getting ready to be the same in the ACC. I, I think the SEC was kind of ahead of everybody when they added Texas and Oklahoma because – I feel like they're really in the best position as far as what their league looks like and, you know, as far as travel and as far as regionally, I think I think they're probably in the best position when it comes to those things. Well, I mean, in, in, you can put yourself in that position, right, because of the narrative now after all this moving around has been, think about all the sports that have to travel multiple times or have multiple games a week, like basketball or, or volleyball or whatever sport you want to name. Could you imagine – if South had to go out to the West Coast to face half their Sun Belt competition, I mean, you start talking about the price of travel, the the mental health aspect of it all, being away from class that long. Like, I think on paper it sounds like, man, Oregon's going to play Ohio State in football. That's going to be awesome, right? Like, U- USC and, and Michigan, I'm for it. And But then you get to the nuts and bolts of it, and you're like, dude, that's going to be a tough, tough season for any student athlete. Yeah, I think I think for us um, and some belt schools, it would be nearly impossible financially to pull that off. Um, I, I think for those schools, it, it's not a financial burden because all the money that they're making. Now, where the burden comes into play is academically, how much is it affecting kids? You know, the wear and tear on their bodies, having to travel so much. Now, they're going to travel in luxury. They're chartering their flights and. They're going to eat the best meals and get the best treatment. You know, all all that stuff will be taken care of. I mean, they'll be they'll be operating like an NBA team or an yeah. NFL team the way they travel, especially once you up the money that you're getting on these TV deals and the things that go into that. But it it does you know take a toll on you mentally when you're traveling that much. And and I think the thing that's 
that's really going to hurt are the nine big revenue sports. When you look at those sports, because they're going to have, they're going to be in the same league. I would imagine. I mean, every all sports at the school are joining the league, so the travel for them is not the same as as the football team or the basketball team. So that's going to take a toll on that. And you know, I, I'm hopeful that that all everything can stay intact at those places because, as we all know, we saw it with COVID when you know financial times get tougher. It's usually the the non-revenue sports that that take the brunt of it, where you cut sports and you know programs and all that type of stuff. So I'm hopeful that doesn't happen. I hope all all those places can stay intact. They should be able to because I think a lot of money's getting ready to start flowing. Hopefully they they share that with all the sports throughout the programs. Richie Riley, our guest this morning. Richie, let me ask you this: one of the stories we've been talking about is how Nick Saban brings in guest speakers to talk to the football program. The latest being Pete Rose. I don't know if you do this or not, but whether you do or not, who would be a guest speaker or two that you would feel comfortable bringing in to talk to your basketball team? We, we, I don't think I have the reach that, that Coach Saban has. He could, he, I, I've seen a lot of that on Twitter. I mean, they, a lot of these places like, like his program and those type of places, they get the who's who to come in and talk to their guys. I wish that I had that type of reach. But we have some people come in whether it's former players or you know, people around the community that have been successful. We have we have those guys come in, and sometimes we have some connections with some guys that are you know, professional guys, basketball guys that have played that come in. Uh, I, I think it's good. I think it's good for them, them to hear stories of good, bad lessons they can learn. Um, I, think, I think it's good. I think it's good for them to hear. How? From successful people, especially that had the same path that they had, you know, they're trying to trying to do the same thing. Um, so I, I wish I had, I wish I had on my Rolodex that that many people I could call, like Coach Saban. Um, I, I think it's really beneficial. Mark's available. You got contact yeah, I'm with him. Bringing him in this year, yeah, you should. I, I think he could. I, I think that would be that would what push us over the top. You know, we're possession away from winning the NCAA tournament last year. I think it's. If Heim came in and talked, I think it would be a game changer. I think we might win the league going away, so we might have to set that up. Yeah, well, be careful what you ask for, because I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring heat. So I'm gonna question coaching decisions that maybe prevented this team from getting to the tournament last year. I mean, I I'm I'm an open book now. <laughs> I, we, we can't have that, man. I, I need I need you to come in and help me. I mean, I'd be like, you look, in, you can't bring in guest speakers that. That, it, that it's going to have a negative impact on me. I, I it wouldn't be very smart. No, I'd be like, look, Richie's a great guy, but he's spending way too much time caddying. Here, let's 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 go with a triangle and two defense, and then we'll put in the old <laughs> diamond press, and then we'll go and fall back into the old two-one-two zone, man. That, I mean, that, just chalk. Just give us the trophy. I got I got <laughs> ideas, Richie. I got ideas. Yeah, we're gonna have to bring you in. Maybe you would probably serve better in a, in a clinic format. Maybe we bring you in. We, we let you talk in the coach's clinic about. Oh, yeah. Are you saying the, put him in a clinic many, or all the many defenses you have in your back? Yeah, here's the reverse dribble and uh, wait, look up now, guys, look up. Yeah, right. That, that's that's probably the extent of my basketball knowledge. Richie, getting a little more serious, how much have you devoted to talking to players about what has become a very a, kind of a spreading issue gambling yeah we always address it i think it's something you have to we've, we've always addressed that 
Um, and now it's became even more prevalent because the access that you can get, you know, online and ESPN just came out of the betting deal yesterday, I guess. I saw that on Twitter. It's it's kind of spreading more than it ever has. It's always been there, but now it's it's visible. It's easily it's easily, you know, to access. You can access it so so easily and um we always talk about it. You talk about it too around the, around the Final Four. You talk about around the Super Bowl. You talk about not providing you know information. You know because you don't ever know who's reaching out to these kids. You can catch you can catch any of these guys on social media. You know, send them a message or you know, whatever it is. And you know, kids out there are very impressionable sometimes. And you just got to make sure they understand to be hands off with all those things. And we've never had an issue with it, but especially now, you got to make sure you address all those things. What Richie Riley is our guest here on WNSP. To that point, though, what what keeps you up at night? Like, what what's the call that you dread? Like, you know, and the, and back in the day, it was a uh, kid gets pulled over or he's been arrested. I I think that's always a concern. But is it the call about a potential, you know, gambling issue or a fight? Like, it, it, what what as a coach keeps you up? Just the safety of our guys. Um, I feel like we do a really good job recruiting great human beings. Yeah. So, you know, earlier in my career, a long time ago, you know, there's a lot of calls that could keep me up. Yeah. I was I was constantly worried about, you know, those type of things. But with our guys that we have here, um, it's not so much I'm worried about them doing something they shouldn't be doing. But in our society now, you can just be out you know, anywhere, having a good time, you know, doing what you're supposed to be doing, acting like a gentleman, and you just get caught up in something that's out of your control. And those those are always scary. And I, I talk to our guys about not staying out too late. If there is a situation that you see getting ready, you got to immediately get out of there and go home. And so that, that's the biggest thing because cause in our society right now, anything could happen yeah at, in, in any venue i mean you could be in a grocery store you could be at the park um anything you know and i always worry about our guys you know when you recruit these guys they're like the kids it's like you you get 12 13 you add those kids and then yeah i got your kid in my program now you know he's just like one of the players you know because when you're in a program that's you know, you're one of mine so I worry about all all of our guys um, all the time from a safety standpoint and just them being okay. Not, I, I'm thankful we do a good job recruiting, and that's that's a premium here is what type of person you are and that you act the right way and you, you're responsible enough to do the right things and be great in our community here in Mobile. So I don't worry about them doing anything like that. I just worry about their safety and well-being all the time. Talking with Richie Riley, South Alabama men's basketball coach. Richie, Mark, and I have spent some time this morning talking about the Netflix documentary on Johnny Manziel. Is there a documentary that would compel you to watch uh, of any celebrity athlete or anything like that, uh, whether it be on HBO or Netflix or anything like that, that would draw you to the screen to sit for about an hour to watch? That one did. I watched it immediately last night, Jeff, and I watched it. Um, I, I love Johnny Manziel when he was when he was playing. I mean, he's it was must see TV. You had this little guy, he's like an underdog, 
character and you know, he had all the flash and the flair and and he was out there backing it up. He's the best player in college football. And it was I, I watched him like crazy, and then you, you see his story unfold. That's another thing. Social media, there are <laughs> there is nothing that that is not out there when 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 somebody's life unfolds and it unravels like his has. Uh, so you see all of it. So getting to see some of the detail of it and hear him talk about it and people that were around him talk about it, I thought it was a really good documentary. Um, I'm rooting for him to turn it around. I hope that he can turn everything around and and. And get himself in a in a good place. It sounds like he's in a better place than he was, obviously. But get himself in a great place. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the Tiger Woods documentary a few years ago. Thought that was he's, he's my favorite athlete of all time in any sport. Um, so I enjoyed that. And one documentary I'd love to see. I would spend five hours watching this. Is is Jerry Tarkanian. I would love to see a really good one. And I, I don't think there's been a really good one come out with with everybody involved, the stories, everything that goes into it. I, I would love to see see that. I think that, that would be really attractive to me. Richie, years ago, uh, the Jags, we went to Vegas, and I think we played either San Diego or San Diego State. I don't remember. We were playing in a hotel, you know, one of those basements at a hotel at Vegas. And Terry, Jerry Tarkanian, he was out of coaching them, but he came by. He and Ron Arrow had a connection from years ago. And the game wasn't exactly a barn burn. It was kind of very low scoring, and there wasn't much action. Jerry Tarkanian was sitting behind the Jag bench, and he fell asleep during the game. <laughs> I'll never forget that. He had to wake him up. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's one of, he was one of the greatest characters in our sport but he was such a character that i think people forget how good of a coach that he was and a program builder um did he did he do it with, in between you know the, the rules all the time no i don't think so but he he was one of it was when i was a child you know watching those streams of larry johnson yeah. and ogman and greg anthony and all those guys he he was it's when i started to fall in love with hoops and i loved watching their team and Loved watching his actions on the sideline. And as I got older and coaching, I found out more and more about him. And I, I would love to see a detailed documentary of of all those times, even his junior college days before he became UNLV, and then see some of the stuff at Fresno with when he had Chris Heron and and all those guys. I mean, I, I think it would be a heck of a story. It, they should do about an eight an eight episode series of that. Maybe maybe we could do that. You think we could do that? Let's all get out to Vegas, us three, and start interviewing people and bringing people in. We'll create our own Netflix. Yeah, uh, the first thing I think of when we go to Vegas is let's interview people. That's a good idea. <laughs> actually, actually, so that begs another question. So uh, back in the day, would you have, if given the opportunity, would you have, would you have hung with Manziel? Would you would you and you? It would have been Johnny Football. Uncle Nate and Richie Riley hanging out in Vegas or going to Miami for some uh, autograph sessions? You'd be down with that? When I was in college, I would have probably been Uncle Nate for him. I would have probably edged him <laughs> out. I would have, I, I would have probably edged him out. You know the way that the way that I was when I was wheeling and dealing, and you know that at that age, 
yeah, we would have we would have probably hit it off, you know, both of us from from the country, and you know, I think we would have probably hit it off. I he, think he's probably he's probably a little too a little too wild for me. Some of the, some of his activities, I would have probably had to sit out. But yeah, you know, you, for the most part, I think I think we would have I think we would have hit it off. I think you would have looked goodness. You would have looked goodness, Scooby Doo costume, did, right? Oh man, like. You know, it was always a running joke when I first started coaching. I coached some guys that, you know, liked to party, and you had to you know, make sure they were in and, you know, following around, make sure all the stuff. And, you know, the running joke was if if you're going to live that hard, you got to show up and you got to play even harder. And yeah. he, he exemplifies that. <laughs> he, he would go out all night long, and then he'd come out on Saturday and throw five touchdowns and run two more, and, and they would – they would beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's a really, really crazy story. Well, like like you said, win or lose, we booze, right? Yeah, that was his saying. Yeah. And it, it shows, though, the level. You know, when you get to the NFL, if you're going to be that good, it's hard to live like that. Yeah, you know, those, tough those guys live in the film room. They they take care of their bodies. The guys like Mahomes and Burrow these guys Josh Allen's top quarterbacks and they sleep and breathe kind of football when it's that time you know I think they probably I'm sure they have their own fun too or whatever they do but you know there's a lot of time that goes into doing that's a lot different you know SEC football is is the cream of the crop when it comes to college football elite of the elite but you know when you step foot on that NFL field it's it's another level compared to anything you can see all right, before I let you go, I'm assuming, hypothetically, rhetorically, asking for a friend, that if you and Johnny were hanging out uh, and you you rocked a Scooby-Doo costume alongside Johnny Manziel, uh, Miss Jess would have been all in from that minute on. No, she would have been all out. <laughs> if, she, if, if I was hanging out with Johnny Manziel, she would know. I, I was talking back in college when I was in college. Ah. So. Yeah, like yeah. If, if the second she found out I was hanging out with Johnny Manziel, she would never gave me a chance. So I'm thankful. Thankful by the time I met her, I'd grown up quite a bit. So the Scooby Doo, the Scooby Doo costume wouldn't have gone over well. No, definitely not. All right, you see, but I, I'm not saying that I would not have been rocking that back <laughs> before then. But once, once my beautiful wife came in the picture, then. Yeah, there was no there was no more Scooby Doo or, or hanging out with Johnny Mansell. That was that was done. Uh, Richie, as always, we appreciate it. I want you to know next week for the promo, I'm gonna I'll have my graphics guy over there, Nick, put something together for me. I'm gonna promote that you're gonna be on the show, and I'm gonna put your face on Johnny Mansell's Scooby Doo picture, and and let everybody know you're gonna be joining us. I think that I think that'll be. I'm gonna be prepared, guys. I'm I'm pumped to get on. I'm pumped to get on there and talk some college football. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I think I missed my calling. I, I should have been one of these analysts, college football or golf. I, I should be up there with Brandel Chamblay, maybe. I, I think I missed my calling, but I, I enjoy coaching, so it's a win-win. But I, I, some days I think I missed my calling. I could have done that. Yep. Hey, thank you for the time. We'll talk to you next week. Also, uh, I know we talked. Maybe uh, you might even drop by and hang with us at, uh, at Heroes coming up at our fall football preview party. No doubt. I, I'm I'm really excited about that. All right, man. Really, really excited about that. And you know, you know I love coming on with you guys and if I get a chance to do it live, that'd be even better.
All right. Well, we're looking forward to it. Always great to have you on. I'll I'll shoot you a text, man. I'll sketch out that two one two zone. It's tough to beat, man. I'm telling you, those fourth graders <laughs> love it. You don't you don't have you don't have one that's two one two one, do you? That would be that would be a really good zone if I could get six guys out there. If you can figure that out, that's controversial right there. I, I like where your head's at. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> be good. We appreciate it. All right, guys. That's Richie Riley, ladies and gentlemen, South Alabama basketball coach slash college football analyst. Before we, I know we don't have much time left, but I, I'm looking at the uh, the state high school basketball. I'm sorry, the state high school football poll, the preseason. I'm looking at 7A, and of course you got Thompson one, Auburn two, Hoover three. Mary G. Montgomery is rated preseason nine. When is the last time MGM was in the top ten? I am just, I can't get over that. What Let's a, go. Vikings. How about it? Top 10. Preseason. Was Nick voting on this? I think he said no. One final segment. It's the opening kickoff. This is Mayor Sandy Stimson. You're listening to Sports Radio 105.5 FM WNSP. ceremony short and sweet as we went long with Richie but we do uh, appreciate the South Alabama basketball coach joining us it's always I tell you what's great about Richie not telling you thing anything you guys don't already know but you can talk I mean he's he's just you could talk anything with him I mean here's a, a D1 basketball coach that was sitting there watching Johnny Manziel last night I mean it's just you know he would go party. He would have gone to party with him. Would you have gone to party with Johnny back in the day, Lee? I don't think I could keep up with him. Well, there's only one way to find out. I mean, he stayed up, I'm sure, after midnight. Uh, I could never, barely ever make it to midnight. Yeah, I was up past midnight last night. I ain't going to lie. It's uh, it's not something I generally do or try to. Maybe, maybe at that age, I could have. Obviously, when you say, could I? No, no, I couldn't do it now. But at that age, yeah, I could have. Well, better lose your booze. I don't know if Manziel could have kept up with me in yeah. my prime. And you're, you're, you're past your prime at 26? <laughs> Just like Johnny Manziel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that does it. Another edition of the opening kickoff is in the books. For Lee and Nick, I'm Mark. That does it. We'll be back tomorrow at 6 a.m. Until then, see you.